I wasn't here last week. I had a bout with the COVID, but I have recovered, and we are going to be diving into Philippians chapter 1 this morning. So if you want to turn your Bible there, we are going to read through it real quick, just the first chapter, and then we're going to get some background insight, and then we're going to go through it again a little bit more detailed. Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with, with the affection of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, Knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet, what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, 
not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Yea, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. So that's Philippians 1 for us. Um, As he said up at the beginning, this is Paul who is writing. Um, He does include Timothy here in verse 1. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Timothy did not share any role in writing this epistle, but that was more as an indication that the the thought of the Philippian church was in Paul and Timothy. So they were both coming together in thinking of this church that they're writing to. Um, Philippi was a Roman colony. So it was not itself in Rome, but it followed all the same laws, uh, the same principles, and it was considered Italian soil. So this colony would have been under Roman rule, and it was named after Philip of Macedon. So Macedonia is the larger geographical region that we're in right here. Um, So Philip of Macedon, Philip names Philippi after himself. Uh, He was the father of Alexander the Great. Probably heard of Alexander the Great. Um, And uh, Philip of Macedon had his victory in Philippi around 360 AD. And then later in 31 AD, uh, it actually became a military colony of Rome. So there was a heavy military presence in this colony of Philippi. So let's go back to Acts chapter 16 this morning. And this is where Paul and Silas come into Philippi on their second missionary journey, and they will encounter some strange things in Philippi. Um, But as Paul mentions in his letter to the Philippians, it was to the furtherance of the gospel. So let's take a look. Acts 16, we see uh, what's called the Macedonian call. So Uh, There was a dream that they had, uh, a vision, it says, appeared to Paul in the night. Uh, A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So we see this vision of a man uh, given to Paul calling him to Macedonia. Immediately, they try to make their way there. um, And when they get there, there's not a synagogue in Philippi. So um, you know probably that Paul liked to target the synagogues. Right when he got to town in a lot of places, he would go to the synagogue, to the center of Jewish thought. And he wanted to plant the gospel right there to begin with. We don't see a synagogue in Philippi. So he goes to what would be the next best thing, really. Uh, It was a meeting place for prayer um, for the Jews in that area. Uh, So he comes to this place of prayer, and he meets Lydia, who is a woman from Thyatira. Uh, It says that she sold a purple dye, which they would have gathered from the throat of a shellfish. They would have crushed the throat and extracted the dye from it. Uh, Apparently, she made a pretty good living doing that. Um, And so she comes here, and it says that her heart 
was opened to heed the things spoken by Paul. So obviously, there was some preparation going on in her heart before they even got there. So the Holy Spirit was working in her to open her to the idea of this new Messiah, who we know now as Jesus Christ. So when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, Paul and Silas, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded them to stay. Um, And then later on, uh, they came in contact with a slave girl. Uh, This girl was possessed by a demon, a spirit of divination. And it says that she followed them around. And listen to what this demon inhabiting the girl says. It's interesting. It says, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She did this for many days. That's more orthodox than a lot of churches these days. The demons believe that there's one God. There's no question in their mind. Uh, They know who has the power. But here it says, and this is funny because I can see myself kind of in Paul here. It says he got greatly annoyed at this this girl who was following them around. And it does say that it took them many days to even address this situation. Now, if I was there, I don't think that it would take several days for me to address the situation. Um, But it did take Paul a while. Um, Obviously, he's very patient. But he commanded the demon to leave the girl um, in the name of Jesus Christ. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So this girl, who apparently was possessed and had a spirit of divination, was a great center for profit for her masters. Uh, It'd be like a fortune teller or something. Uh, She would have made them money, actually. Uh, did y'all hear about the, the fortune teller in Florida that just went bankrupt? Uh, she actually never saw it coming, so <laughs> sorry. Okay. Um, Paul and Silas were dragged into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates, the rulers there, and they judged them to be thrown into prison. So They took Paul and Silas to prison. They locked them up in the stocks uh, after beating them. And then something strange happened. Um, And I can't say that I really see myself in Paul in this situation. Uh, But he started singing in the midst of his imprisonment, uh, just worshiping Jesus. And he didn't read the chapter beforehand. So he didn't know what was happening. His mu- his motives were pure. He wasn't thinking like, oh, if, I'm, if I start singing now, then maybe God will get me out of here, you know? So he starts singing with Silas, and um, obviously all of the, the people who were guarding them would have heard this, and they would have heard their songs and the joy that they had. Um, there was a great earthquake, it shook the prison doors open and their shackles fell off of them. So all of the prisoners in that prison were free, uh, but they didn't leave. 
So since this was a Roman colony, uh, we see that the Roman laws applied. And in Rome, if you were set to guard a prisoner, then if that prisoner escaped uh, and you allowed that to happen, that punishment was placed on you. So this jailer would have been distressed. Um, He actually pulls out his sword and is about to kill himself when Paul says, hey, hold up. Uh, Everybody's here. Nobody's left. You hadn't done anything that's going to get you killed. Um, So Paul and Silas preach to this guy, and he ends up getting saved and his whole household. Uh, So this miracle occurs They're broken out of their shackles. Um, Paul evidently um, is not thinking that this is going to occur, but, you know, with hopes that something miraculous does occur. Um, So he breaks out. uh, The jailer is saved along with his whole family. And I wondered, and maybe you all have the answer to this, I don't know that I do, but I wondered why Paul and Silas didn't tell the people who were beating them that they were Roman citizens until after they were beaten, imprisoned, and released. Um, it's, it's kind of funny, actually, because the magistrates who ordered them to be beaten would have actually broken the law here. So Paul kind of has this ace up his sleeve, uh, and he uses it to plant this church in Philippi. So the magistrates ask Paul and Silas to get out of town secretly uh, after they're released. And Paul isn't too hot on that idea, so he kind of sticks around and hangs out for a while. Uh, Says that he went back to the house of Lydia. And so here we see this church forming. Uh, Lydia, the the woman who sold the dye, uh, who was at the well with Paul, she is the seed for this new church to sprout up in Philippi. So we come back to Philippians with this understanding. This is how the Philippian church was started. Okay, So they, they come in through a series of miracles this church sprouts up in Philippi. Now, apparently, uh, the believers at Philippi were not wealthy. They were very poor, actually, but they gave liberally. We know that they gave four, probably five offerings throughout uh, Paul's journeys to Paul. So they would have been in close cahoots with Paul, and it would have been uh, koinonia, a fellowship, or a, a real serious bond between this church that Paul started and him. So let's dig into the uh, first chapter of Philippians. Verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So he's addressing his letter here. Um, he is addressing the letter to the saints, to the believers. Now, we we may have the idea that a saint like floats on the ground a little bit and has to be perfect. That's not the idea of a saint in the New Testament. 
That's more of a Roman Catholic idea that has been brought in. Um, but the New Testament saint, if you want to know what they look like, look around. These are the saints of the New Testament. They're believers in Jesus Christ. So uh, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, Paul is actually writing the letter, and Timothy is with him in thought. Uh, they call themselves bondservants. The Greek word there is doulos. It's a very low servanthood status. And uh, we see in Exodus 21, just after the Ten Commandments have been received, uh, how you should deal with slaves. Well, in Exodus 21, it says that if a slave is content to dwell with his master, when he is to be freed, if he chooses not to go out, and that could be for any reason, um, obviously they would have had shelter, food provided for them. So if you liked your master, you could choose to stay with them for the rest of your life. They would take an awl and pierce your ear on the doorpost. That would signify that you are a slave by choice. This is the same idea that Paul is conveying here in calling himself bondservant. Um, it's this idea that he has chosen to be a slave of Christ. It's not, um, Christ is not a cruel master. We see a lot of things in the world that are cruel masters. They want to get into your life, take control of it, and keep you there. They want to keep control of you, but Christ is not like that. Uh, we see that the Son will set you free, and he who is set free is free indeed. Um, so we've got this idea of a slave, which is uh, carried out actually throughout this whole letter, and uh, it kind of goes back to Paul's experience in Philippi. So remember, he was locked up in Philippi. He was a prisoner there. Well, as we move through this, you'll see this incredible mindset that he has. Uh, it's not, oh, I'm, I'm a prisoner in Rome. He's, he's writing this letter from a prison in Rome. Uh, so he's not thinking, oh, woe is me. But he's thinking, I am a slave of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. And Rome is a prisoner of me. Because he was chained to a praetorian guard, which we'll look at in a second. The guard couldn't get away from him. Could you imagine being an unbeliever chained to Paul? That'd be crazy. No doubt he would have been a fantastic prisoner, a model prisoner. But um, this mindset that we see from Paul uh, is really remarkable. So to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a common greeting that Paul used. Um, and there's a couple of, of aspects to that that are really interesting. First of all, grace uh, was the Greek greeting. It was charis. And that would be like, hey, hey guys, grace to you, peace. Uh, peace was shalom from the Hebrew that was a Hebrew greeting, same type of thing. So you see Paul, he's melding the two cultures. He's uh, going to both of them, and 
he's bringing them together into this body of Christ. So grace to you and peace. The second part of that is it's always grace, then peace. He never says peace, then grace, because you cannot experience the peace of God without first experiencing the grace of God. Okay, it's always grace, then peace. Verse 3, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He basically says that he thanks God that he led him to Philippi, which is odd when you remember that he was imprisoned there, he was beaten, um, and then he was miraculously saved. Um, it, it's interesting looking back in Acts 16, uh, verse 7, it says, After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. They were trying to spread the gospel somewhere, but the Spirit hindered them from doing so. And a lot of times we don't think that way. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different to us. But um, obviously the Spirit wanted the gospel in Philippi. For a reason. And we know now that that was the first instance of the gospel moving westward. So after uh, Paul and Silas dispute over John Mark and they split ways with some other apostles, um, Paul and Silas come westward and bring the gospel to what we know as the Western world now, would have been in Europe at the time. And We'll see some more of this, but uh, this was Paul's first experience in Philippi, and in Philippians, there's no doubt in my mind that he was thinking upon that experience as he wrote the letter to them. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is confident that this church was founded for a reason. Uh, it was not on a whim, and God had specifically orchestrated this church. Now, we see through history, like I said, the gospel coming westward, and we know that that was probably part of the reason that God had them here, um, but they didn't know that then, obviously. And being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Have you ever been placed in an unlikely situation? Uh, it can be really anything, but you know that it was purposeful that you were placed there. Um, I know that I was placed in Stephenville for a purpose, and I didn't know it then, <laughs> um, but I would not have guessed that I would be here even two years ago. So it is great to look back and see the purpose that just keeps lining up. And even looking forward, I don't know what I'm doing, so I got nothing. But I know that there's a purpose behind whatever that is. And that's so encouraging to me, um, especially just these past few years. There's been a lot of uncertainty, uh, just where I'm going next, what I'll be doing. Uh, so it's, it's awesome to see this. Uh, work out. 
just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. So, um, this epistle is very warm. It's uh, Paul does not need to defend his apostleship like he did with the Corinthians. Uh, he's really friendly with them. Uh, he wants to spread the gospel alongside them. So we see that kind of heart of Paul coming out here. Um, he's confident in them. He, uh, he has them in his heart, inasmuch both in his chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says, you all are partakers of with me, are partakers with me of grace. This grace that leads to the peace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Again, such a warm appeal to these people. Um, he hasn't seen them in quite a while, actually, when he writes this. So he is earnestly longing to see them again. And we'll see later that he knows that when he does see them again, they're going to be encouraged by that. Verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still, more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So, look at this. This this is kind of cool. Paul prays that their love would abound. He wants their love to grow more and more, but it's not a blind love. He says, your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. So it's important that we put these things together. Okay, We can't take one aspect of God and discard another. Um, it's so important that, that we balance these things out that we have the love of Christ with discernment. We can't be, well, you know, there's, there's plenty of people today who, who love to throw out their love. Um, and as believers, and we saw in 1 John that we are to love our brethren. That is one of the marks of a child of God. Uh, but we need to be discerning in that love. We can't accept everyone because everyone is not right, okay? And that is something that is taken by the world and twisted so often and so heavily. Uh, so let's, let's grow in love. Let's do that. But let's do it in knowledge and in all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. The word here that's used for approve is one for trying metals, like you would try gold to see if it's pure. Um, it's an idea of like fire, like you're uh, testing something very thoroughly. So that's important for us too, because we can't just accept everything. We have to test it, make sure that it's excellent. Um, There is a more excellent way. 
Remember, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that not all things are helpful and not all things edify. That's in chapter 10, verse 23. If I'm training as a marathon runner, it's fine for me to eat ice cream. That's not against the law. But it's probably not the thing that's going to propel me towards my goal. It's not helpful. So it's lawful, but it's not helpful. So in the same way, we are to approve those things that are excellent, that are helpful for us, and will spur us towards the finish line. Now verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Again, Paul being imprisoned in Philippi, um, he's referring back to that. That situation that he was placed in has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And he tells us how that is. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So a little bit more history for you. Uh, the palace guard is referring to the praetorium in Rome. This uh, praetorium was... Um, Originally, it was a thousand of Rome's best soldiers, and it was put together to protect the Caesar. And it would be kind of like today's Navy SEALs or like the special ops, that kind of idea. Uh, it was the best of the best. And uh, the Praetorium would have later grown and then... Uh, their ranks would have multiplied. The Caesar later on would have kept about 10,000 of these Praetorian soldiers just as a personal bodyguard type of deal. Uh, so we know that they were like some bad dudes, like the real deal. And they were the, the emperor's personal bodyguards. Um, the emperor was Praetor, which basically means commander-in-chief to us. And it appears from several verses that Paul was actually chained to one of these Praetorian guards. And I made the joke earlier about being an unbeliever chained to Paul. Well, they very literally would have been chained to Paul, um, keeping a close eye on him uh, as a prisoner. And apparently whatever Paul was doing, being a prisoner, was pretty good because he was able to spread the gospel being chained to his prison guard. Um, see, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So these praetorian guards would have kind of worked shift work, so they would have uh, kind of rotated in and out of these shifts with Paul and gone back to their barracks, talked to their buddies, everything, and evidently, uh, it says to the palace guard and all the rest that all the rest there was probably the whole camp of Praetorian guards. Uh, so the the news that Paul was spreading about the gospel, his reason for the joy that he had was infectious to all of these guards, that his chains are in Christ. Again, this is that mindset that I was talking about. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. Rome is a prisoner of me, and I a prisoner of Christ. Uh, so that's that's awesome. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They see how Paul is handling his situation, and it informs how they handle their situation. 
So they're much more bold on account of Paul. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. You may run into some of these characters someday. So we see a couple of different kinds of people who preach Christ. Uh, The first, from envy and strife. Now, Paul is writing directly to his situation, which um, there were Judaizers in these days who uh, liked to impress their law upon people. And it was kind of with the idea that they were better than you. Uh, They could follow the law better than you could. Uh, So out of envy and strife, out of envy for Paul's situation in preaching the gospel, these Judaizers would come in sometimes and try to dismount Paul, basically. Um, So even though they preach from envy and strife, uh, selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, uh, it actually worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. They were still preaching Christ, and to that Paul rejoices. He says, but the latter out of love those that preach out of goodwill, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, that's like a showy kind of fashion, or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I'll continue to rejoice over this. Verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But I live on but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I choose what I shall choose, I cannot tell. This is another testament to Paul's mindset. I can't say that I'm in the same place as Paul. I mean, this is truly remarkable. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, this is where we should be heading. This should be the mindset in every believer. But I know that it is difficult. If you kind of look at your life, is to die gain? is to live Christ. Because if to live is to find a wife, to die is not gain. If to live is to acquire wealth or to have kids, to die is not gain. The only way that you can say that to die is gain, if to live is Christ. If Christ is all that you live for, what happens when you die, when you take down this mortal tent? You're with him. Nothing is better than that. And Paul acknowledges that. Uh, But he knows that when the church at Philippi sees him again in the flesh, they will rejoice and they will be encouraged by that. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor Yet what I, choo- what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, 
having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. So why does he want to remain with the Philippian church? For their progress and for their joy in faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. And there we have it again. Uh, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now he does ask this church one thing, and although he's very friendly to them and warm and inviting, he asks them to let their conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the one thing that he is impressing upon them here because there's no greater disservice that we can do to the gospel but to proclaim the true and living Christ and then go out and act a totally different way. Uh, It's sad when we see that, but it's the reality of the situation. Let your walk equal your talk. There's no other way. And... In 1 John, again, we saw that the actions that you display are directly proportional to that change that has come in your life by the Spirit of Christ. And so Paul asks asks the Philippian church, you know, let your conduct display this gospel. Let it match up. Let it mesh. And that's one of the only things, uh, one of the only corrections or Uh, admonitions that Paul has for this Philippian church throughout the whole letter. And why is this? He wants, when he comes, uh, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. You know, we read that it has been granted on behalf of Christ to suffer for his sake, and that does not excite me. Um, I'm not thrilled by that, but I understand that that is the way it is, and we need to embrace it as much as we can, um, just like Paul did. Paul embraced his sufferings and counted them as a furtherance of the gospel. Uh, so that's exactly how we need to look at our sufferings. Uh, we go through these things in life that are not fun, and um, I don't even pretend to tell you that they are fun, but... Um, they're a reality of your walk with Christ, and they will further the gospel. That is, that is what we're here for. So, you know, this week, let's embrace the grind. I'm going to use that word. I'm not a big fan of it, but let's embrace the grind, the, the sufferings that we are accounted for Christ. Um, 
and understand that there is a purpose behind it. Uh, it's not in vain. Um, we need to display to the world that the life that we have in Christ is real. Because it is. So I, I eagerly await the day uh, that we meet him again and the tears are w- wiped away from our eyes. There will be a time when there is no suffering. Uh, we look forward to that. So let's close with a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for allowing us to gather together this morning uh, to be in your house with you. Uh, we thank you for being here among us and inhabiting your word this morning. God, as we do go out into the world and we preach your name by our actions and by our words, God, we ask that you would direct that. You would be in every step, uh, in every move that we make this week. God, we ask that this week you would speak to us through your word um, as we sit down with you in the mornings, afternoon, evening, it doesn't matter. God, we ask that you would you would be there, you would speak to us, and give us comfort this week. Uh, I know that there are many things that each one of us are facing right now, and we need your strength to get through them. And God, we don't have that strength in ourselves. God, we ask that, that you would give us the grace that we need when we need it to face the trials. God, it's in your son's precious name that we do address you this morning. Amen.